0: You've got to be patient. It takes two to three years to establish and build a brand in a local market. So it's definitely going to take time internationally. One of the challenges that businesses have is they expect because their products are popular in their home country that they're just automatically going to see that same popularity and success. And in Asia, it really is about trust.
1: Hello, and welcome to Marketing to Mums, the podcast, the show which helps marketers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs sell more effectively to the world's most powerful consumer, Mums. Each fortnight, we bring you a deep diving interview with a marketing specialist from around the globe who can help you gain insights about this influential consumer. Let's hear from our host, Katrina McArthur. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, we speak with Danielle
2: Michaels, the co founder of Be Box for Kids. Danielle and her business partner, Monique, have enjoyed a very successful decade in business and have established a truly global business. Today, we explore finding brand growth in overseas markets, and Danielle shares her story about their path to international growth. Specifically, we focus on the Asian market. However, we also discuss the UK, Europe, and the US. Danielle shares many practical tips to ensure you can avoid potential issues when moving into international markets. I believe that overseas expansion can be a great way to accelerate growth in your business. So I hope you enjoy the next 30 minutes or so, developing deeper insights and considerations into selling your products globally. Today, our guest on the show is Danielle Michaels, the co-founder of Beebox for Kids. I wanted to welcome you to the show, Danielle.
0: Thanks for having me. I've
2: been excited to have you on. Listen, just for our listeners who might be unfamiliar with Beebox, can you please share with us a little bit about what your business is all about?
0: So Beebox started, myself and Monique, who have been friends for years, decided to start the business together about 13 years ago or 12 years ago. So it's our 10th year on the market. And we really started with an idea, a product idea to bring to market a nappy wallet. We now call the diaper wallet. And that was really our first baby. We looked at starting other businesses together. Mon and I have really complementary skill sets. Mon's like a finance ops background and I have a marketing communications strategy background. So those two, all those skill sets really formed a great team. So we started Bbox really to fill a niche in the market. And that's really what we've stayed true to. So we are all about kind of problem solving for parents, bringing really cool, funky products to market that solve a problem, that are innovative, that give the market something different, that are accessible. And that's really, I guess, how we've grown to be the global brand that we are today. So we started small and we grew organically and we added more and more products into the mix. But Bbox is really about solving problems for parents and and not big problems. We're talking little problems like how do you feed your kids and how do you get your kids weaned off a bottle and cool ways to be able to travel with your kids and, and live the lifestyle that you want to live with some practical accessories. So we're not, you know, we always say we're not kind of solving world peace, but we do try and make parents lives a little bit easier along the way. And we're about empowering kids to be more independent from you know, as young as six months onwards, that's more and more the developmental stage. So we really work hard to work with parents, work with kids, work with retailers and distributors to bring to market those products that are going to hit that sweet spot. For oh, them. fantastic. And congratulations on 10 years. I didn't Thank know you that. Too. It is our birth- big birthday. Yes, it's our big birthday this year. So we're very excited double digits. I mean, that's yes. massive
2: in business. So massive, massive congratulations. Thank you. I wanted to ask you, like, why do you believe that you've been so successful? And I guess what I'm really asking is, what is it that Beebox offers, which others don't?
0: I think we listen. And I think that we've really stayed true to who we are as a company. Mon and I, I think, have never lost our goal, which was to, you know, personally to create a business that we were really proud of and that could give us as families financial, you know, some financial freedom and independence to certainly be a role model for our kids. We've got five girls between us. So we're very passionate about not just empowering girls, but empowering kids to think outside the box a little bit um, and to challenge themselves. But I think as a business, we've, as you know, we've really hit a sweet spot in the market and we've really taken that B box customer on a journey with us. And we have such a loyal fan base, which we are so appreciative of. And they've grown with us. And as they've had kids and more kids and their friends have had kids and their, you know, sisters and brothers have had kids, they kind of take their friends and family on that journey as well with us. And we've continued to grow. So we started off in that naught to kind of three year old market. And as our kids have grown, we've certainly extended that and we now have products that cater up to kind of that ELC age group. And we've really just Worked hard to continue to create innovative products. We spend a lot of money, time, thought, power, creativity on, on coming up with really cool products that are, as I said, solving one of the little life's challenges for parents. And we really involve them at every step. So we talk, you know, we do focus groups and we talk to mums who are our target audience and we listen to what their pain points are and. And sometimes we do that with a product in front of us and get their feedback. And sometimes it's a general conversation with them about, you know, what are the some, some of the challenges that you have, you know, in feeding your kids or getting your kids to drink or when you're out and about, what are some of the annoying things that you have? And that for us sparks ideas for products. So we really listen. And then we test all our products on kids. So we're quite happy to say all our products are tested on children. And, you know, and we look at them and we video them and we see their interactions with the products. And and. If you actually watch and listen, you can learn a lot about your target customer both as a parent and um and the child which is, you know, we look at them as our probably our most important customers, so
2: I absolutely loved that response, Danielle. You tapped into something that I think that a lot of marketers actually struggle with, and that's actually listening to the customer. I don't think that brands are doing that enough, and what I love is how you're involving parents in your new product development, and I think that's what's really enabled you to be so innovative because when I think of Bbox, you're really synonymous with innovative products, and I don't think that that I guess would have come out unless you're really tapped in and connected with your customer, which uh, which it certainly sounds like you've got the steps in place in your business to be able to do that. So congratulations.
0: Thank you. I think when we started, we were our target customer. You know, we had really little kids. I had a six-week-old baby. I had a two-year-old. Um, Monique had young kids. So we were the target customer. So we looked at it with both hats on. And as our kids have obviously grown, we've continued to still trying to tap into that same feedback, but of today's parents. And so, you know, lots of people in our office obviously have kids and their friends have kids, but we tap into daycare centres and and you're right, listening to your customer and listening to what the market tells you is so important because as a brand, I think it's quite arrogant to sit there and say we know it all. Because if your customer's sitting there saying to you, I don't know, we don't like this colour or my child doesn't like to drink from this type of straw or the handles my child can't hold properly. If you ignore that, then to me, that's at your own detriment because if they have an issue and you can solve their issue, they're yours for life. Yeah,
2: oh, absolutely, absolutely. So can I ask, like, who is the core customer? Who, who would be your primary kind of target audience for Bbox products?
0: I mean, obviously mums. We all know, uh, as a mum myself, and, you know, my husband is amazing and very involved and very hands-on, but I think even he would agree that I'm the key decision maker when it comes to what we purchase in the household. And I think, you know, our target market are mums, they're also kids to some degree and dads, obviously, but I, I, you know, our target customer is the young mum. It's not necessarily a stay-at-home mum or a working mum. It's mums in general. I think it's somebody who likes really good design. They like quality. They are looking for value. So Bbox is not the cheapest product on the market. We're not the most expensive, but we're not the cheapest. So if you look at good, better, best, I would say Bbox always sits at that best end of the offering. But customers trust us, and so that's what we really rely on. And as I said, if you get a mum at the start, and you even if they've got a, a problem, and you know, our customer service is exceptional, and and we do go by the customers always right, and when the customers you know is wrong, we still make them feel that they're right and that they've been heard and they've been validated. And so really knowing our target market, which are our mums that we're talking to is vital on every level from product development through to store placement. Where does the mum want to go and shop? Where does the mum want to see our products? You know, where do they spend most of their time? It shapes everything that we do. Fantastic.
2: Now, listen, I've noticed that uh, you've started collaborating with Disney and you've. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed some co-branded B-Box collections coming in around the Toy Story 4 and Disney Princess and I think even Mickey Mouse.
0: Yeah, we did. Mickey Mouse was our first foray into the world of Disney. Ah, I wanted to ask, like, is this the first time that you've done
2: a brand collaboration and is it something that you'd consider doing more of in the future?
0: We actually have done some small brand collaborations before. We did a collaboration with the Australian Open last year and we're doing it again this year, which is a really obviously very niche market, but it's a really nice product placement as a Melbourne based company. But Disney is probably the first opportunity of its size to come our way, and and we were really excited. And Disney actually approached us, which my understanding is is fairly rare in the marketplace, that that Disney Australia recognised they wanted to um, collaborate with a local feeding brand for that toddler market. So we were really excited, and we've had an amazing collaboration with them, and it really is a collaboration. We were very, I guess, wary for want of a better word on the licensing arena because we didn't want to lose the B-Box identity but I think what we've done together with the team at Disney is created that true collaboration where it's iconic B-Box products with iconic Disney characters in a really cool you know modern twist which is what B-Box is all about and Disney are loving it I mean it was really exciting actually and not to name drop but I have to name drop you know, we had an email actually last week from the Disney team here in Australia saying that Bob Iger, who's the you know global chairman of Walt Disney Company, had actually requested the products to be sent over to the US for him to showcase at their global territories conferences as best practice. So, you know, as a you know, tiny little Australian brand playing on a global stage, that was pretty exciting. And I think that just is testament to the fact that we have just done it in a really kind of upmarket way, which Disney do with lots of brands. They've done a collaboration with Gucci and they've done a collaboration. Obviously, Peter Alexander is iconic. But in that infant feeding space, I think we're offering something to the Disney lover that hasn't been offered before. And, you know, we've taken Disney into China, you know, the Disney collection to China, into um, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Indonesia. So we're getting that global traction within, you know, three or four months of launch, which is almost unheard of.
2: Before we continue with the podcast episode, I want to tell you about our podcast sponsor, Cooperate. Cooperate is a powerful marketing technology platform that allows marketers to visualize your brand's customer journey, deliver great content at each stage of that journey, and see how it all performs all managed from one centralized location cooperate has been built by marketers for marketers i've actually had the opportunity to see the platform in action and i genuinely think it's worth taking a look at if you're a marketer managing large brands which want to attract more moms now let's head back to the podcast prompted me and one of the reasons that I really wanted to get you onto the show is actually to discuss growth. And one of the frequent concerns that I hear from brands and business owners is around where am I going to find my future growth? And I've noticed that you've really grown very successfully in, in a relatively short space of time by expanding into overseas markets. And I know that Asia has really been a key focus for you since I think like right back in the beginning, very early days. I know that you, you have enjoyed really considerable success in Korea and China and more recently you've actually ventured into an Indonesia. I actually interviewed you about Indonesia for my upcoming book and I wanted to ask could you share with us some of the countries that you've ventured into first and then how your Asian expansion has progressed?
0: So Beebox is currently sold through around 40 countries and we actually had our first international customer within six months of launching the brand and funnily enough that was a twitter inquiry and back then and i sound really old but back then i'd never even like twitter was like just starting out and it was just kind of getting traction and it was more cele- celebrities kind of tweeting their five seconds of what they did that morning and i just couldn't understand how that was relevant to B-Box from a marketing perspective but a friend of ours who was all over it set up a twitter page for us and and within, um, you know, a week of that going why we'd had this inquiry and thank God we did take it seriously and that was from the UK. So, you know, our inter- we went international really quickly and much quicker than we had planned for. So one of the things we've certainly learned is to be agile and we stay really focused, but we do keep our eyes and ears open to those opportunities and, and assess which ones we want to kind of capitalise on or launch into. But for us, Asia... The products have really hit the mark for, for the Asian parent. I think they trust Australian brands. Uh, we know they trust Australian brands. They like the design. They they trust the quality. And I think that because it's a you know a well known and a kind of I guess an established brand here in Australia, it made the transition into China a little bit easier and into Asia. But Korea was actually the first market we went into. And our distributor is still the same distributor we've had for, I think, going on eight eight years now. And the key thing about growth internationally, especially for a small brand, and, you know, and at the time it was Monique and I. So now we have a team of 23, but at the time it was just the two of us. And we can't be everywhere. So it's really important to have local partners. And we still work on the distributor model. So we partner with distributors who know their market, who obviously have the uh, resources, both people and financial, to really invest in the brand and grow the brand. And you've got to be patient. It takes two to three years to establish and build a brand in a local market. So I think one of the challenges that businesses have is they expect, because their products are popular in their home country, that they're just automatically going to see that same popularity and success. And, And in Asia, it really is about trust. And it's not just trust in the brand, it's trust in the supply chain, it's trust in the distributor, it's trust in where they're buying the products. How do we verify you know, we as a parent, not we as a brand, but how do we as a parent in China verify the authenticity of the product, uh, which is a big thing. So building that brand recognition and brand loyalty does take time, you know, and we know it takes time in our home markets, so it's definitely going to take time internationally. But, you know, we have enjoyed really good success and growth in Asia. And I think China and Korea have been key to that. China's our largest market outside of Australia. And it's certainly where we're seeing really strong growth. Korea, we've seen very strong growth. We've been in Singapore for a long time as well. We've recently, as you mentioned, gone into Indonesia, which has been a new but exciting collaboration. Um, they're taking Disney there. So they're certainly getting traction and You know, we speak to our distributors really regularly to see what's happening in their market, how we can help them. We have a global marketing platform that they can tap into to make sure that the branding is consistent globally. But for us, growth is about the long term and building that true global brand. And once you build that global brand, theory being that the sales will follow, but it's really about that partnership with the local distributor.
2: Is it hard to find the right distributor? I mean, you know, what kind of, how, how long does that kind of research time take to find the right distributor?
0: Look, I think that different people approach it really differently. Monique and I, for better or worse, have always worked off instinct. I very much go by how do I feel when we speak to them? We obviously have science and we do diligence, but at the end of the day, it comes down to protecting ourselves from an IP perspective in the markets we're looking into and. That is one thing I would recommend anybody who's looking into going internationally to make sure they've got in place is their, you know, trademarks and any product registrations or design registrations or patents or anything like that, that they've got the right advice and the right process implemented from that front. You hear too many horror stories about people going particularly into China and finding that their brand name's already been registered and China's one of those very few markets internationally that is a first to file. You know, you could have been on the market internationally for 10 or 20 years, but if you haven't trademarked in China and someone's smart enough to go, oh, that brand's really successful, I'm going to, you know, trademark it locally, you actually find yourself having to rebrand to enter that market, which is an expensive process on many levels, not just financially. So definitely, if you're going to grow, have a growth plan and make sure that you've got the right protection in the markets you want to go into. In terms of finding the right distributor, we do a couple of key international trade shows. Uh, The most relevant would be the one in Cologne, which is coming up, Kinder Nügen, And that's probably the largest in our market anyway, the largest industry trade show. And that would be a key thing is go and do your market research, go to the relevant industry trade events, wherever they are around the world for your particular business. And understand what are people offering in the market? What price point do you need to hit? What margins, you know, have your margins been calculated that you've got a big enough buffer that everybody along that chain is going to make money? And then when you sit down with the distributor, ask the hard questions. Why should you be giving them your business? It's your baby. Why? What are they going to do to help grow your business? What investment are they going to make? What other brands do they represent? You know, is it a full-time or part-time enterprise for them? And, you know, some of our most successful distributors are not distributors that had massive companies to start with, but they certainly had the vision and the business plan, which we, you know, ask all of our potential distributors to put together. And then we also have kind of a six-month, for one of a better word, trial period, which gives the distributor or the potential distributor the opportunity to test the market. It also gives us an opportunity to see how they work and whether we think that there's that synergy between the two companies or two brands. And we also make sure that everything, you know, we call it a prenup agreement, but we have a contract in place with all our distributors, which, you know, they want exclusivity and we extend exclusivity. But there are certain markers that they have to hit, not just from a revenue perspective, but from a brand building perspective that ensures that they're doing the right thing by the brand and the brand's doing the right thing by them. Wow, some fantastic tips
2: there, Danielle. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, you were saying that China, outside of Australia, that China is actually your most successful market. What what do you attribute that success to?
0: I think it comes down to two things. We have a phenomenal distributor in China who has, I'm going to say we love the brand 110%, they love it 109%. You know, they are immensely passionate about Box. They invest significant amounts of resources and, quite frankly, in China you need to. There are, what is it, 1.3, 1.4 billion people there. You know, so if you think about it, Shanghai, for example, there's 26 million people. So you've got the whole of Australia condensed into one city and that's, you know, not the largest city in China. So it's a massive market and so you need the financial wherewithal to effectively market the products to the right right channels they don't have one version of facebook and instagram they have 50 versions of facebook and instagram and those versions all target different you know aspects of the market so i think last time i was uh, chatting to them about the local social media landscape you know they were telling us that there were 10 to 15 i guess instagram type platforms that were specifically for mums and parents you know it's a massive market so the key to our success has actually been their success and their knowledge of the business and their investment of the, the business, we also have listened. And I go back to listening, but we've really listened to what they've told us their market wants. So we've done product combinations and colorways that are exclusive to China. We've you know supported them in terms of being the face of the brand. Monique and I go over every year to CBME, which is the largest domestic trade show in China for for our industry. They have a massive stand there and. I think it was 180 square metres this year and it looked phenomenal and just for Baybox and Monique and I kind of stand there and pinch ourselves. But that's the success in China. They knew their market, they did their research, you know, and we supported them at every step with what they needed and I think that's why it's successful. Yes, the products resonate, you know, we know we have really innovative quality products um, and we're confident about that. But finding the partner that will help you recreate that success. And as I said, have almost as much passion as you have for the brand. That's a special relationship. And we've had that and built that over seven years. So that's certainly um, why we've been successful in China. And we've also taken, as I said, we've got the right IP protection in place and we defend it. So every time there's a copy, every time there's a counterfeit, you know, our legal team are on it. And I think that You know, Fendi and Gucci and and all the other key massive brands have copycats and let's say people inspired by them. So I kind of on the one hand are flattered that we're doing something people want to copy. And on the other hand, I kind of want them to go copy somebody else because they cause headaches. But I think that showing the distributor that we support them and showing them that we listen has been key to the success of our relationship with them. And then in terms of the brand success, it's all about the work that they do on the ground.
2: Mm, absolutely. That's a really interesting insight into that distributor relationship and, and the, the how critically important it is to, to your success. So thank you very much for sharing. Now, there are strong differences in mothers across different Asian countries. And I was hoping that you might be able to share some of those observations that you've made across the different Asian markets that you sell your products in.
0: Look, I think it was interesting. I actually went to a, a, hear a talk recently that you were also at and, and I think we're on the panel for, and I thought it was really interesting. So while Asian mums want products that are trusted and tested in international markets and they really do trust Australian products, they don't really necessarily, I don't believe, care what other Australian mums think. They want to know what other Chinese mums, other Korean mums, what do their mother's groups think are good products. So I think that as a brand, we have to listen to and tap into, I guess, the influencer base. And I don't mean just influencers in the new sense of influencers, but what who influences their decision making. And you have to understand that. So in Australia, for example, we put everything in the dishwasher. And in China, they don't put anything in the dishwasher. Everything's hand washed. So To be able to sterilize things and how they sterilize things is very different product use than how we use the product. So, you know, that in and of itself you have to understand from a product development point of view. Packaging was another one. In the Western and I'm I'm not suggesting that Asia is not westernized, but in the Western world, i.e. the US, Europe and Australia, we're going to minimal packaging. Yeah, less is more. Whereas in China and Korea and Taiwan, they want everything packaged and inaccessible. So so we, we learned that, that when we released the insulated drink bottle, for example, we had very minimal packaging. And in China and, and for Korea and Taiwan and Hong Kong, we've actually had to create separate packaging. And that comes to understanding that local consumer because they want the product and they want a sample they can touch and feel, but they'll then, they'll then pick it from the back where no one else has touched it. Whereas in Australia or in the States, you know, as a mum, I go, whatever I'm buying off the shelf, I'm going to sterilise or put through the dishwasher anyway, so it's not an issue. So just understanding the mindset of the parents, I think how they also live is really an interesting one. I remember travelling for work when, my, when Gemma, who's now nine, but when she was five months old, and um, we were getting stares. Monique and I were getting stares everywhere we went. And I asked one of, the, you know, one of the people at one of the factories that we work with, I said, like, why is everyone staring at me? And they're like, because the baby doesn't leave the house for the first 12 months. So they don't understand why you've brought this little baby A, on an aeroplane overseas and, you know, where's your mum and why isn't your mum looking after the baby? So, you know, the grandparent is very integral to that family unit and so the baby is carried everywhere. The baby certainly doesn't really leave the house for the first 12 months. So the concept of needing food, like things to eat on the go, that's like not a concept that resonates in China, for example, whereas in Korea they're much more, I guess, westernized in how they live and their kids are out of the house, although they're still very much grandparent orientated. So understanding those cultural differences um, is really important because we've got products that are just never going to sell well in China, not because they're not great products, but because the parent doesn't actually understand why they would need that type of product. Why would I need a travel bib? Yeah, it's cute, but I don't actually feed my child on the go. So I don't really need that you know whereas the sippy cup or the cutlery is something they use on a daily basis and anything that goes in the child's mouth they're a lot more conscious of so i guess understanding the different motivators and drivers concerns of mums i guess pain points of mums in asia and it's not just asia isn't a country there's not a one size fits all policy you know hong kong is a very different mum to You know, mainland China, and even within mainland China, you've got different provinces, different climates. You know, in Korea, we couldn't understand, for example, why. I mean, we're very happy we do, but we sell significantly more straw packs than we do almost anywhere else in the world. And it's not because their population's bigger. So when we asked our distributor, like, what are you doing with all these straw packs? He said, in Korea, the mums change them every week or two. They just buy new ones. They don't need to, but they just feel better about it. So they'll just go and buy new ones rather than putting them in the dishwasher or sterilizing them or whatever. They just go and buy new ones. So it's a very consumable culture, whereas that's not the same way we approach retail here. We replace things when when they wear out or when they need replacing or there's a reason. You don't just go, oh, it's been a week. I should go buy a new one. Well, I'm going to say most mums don't do that. So I think, yeah, I think you have to understand the different markets, which is where the local distributor comes in, because, you know, we've just um, taken on a new distributor in Vietnam and we're working with somebody new in Japan now. And, you know, we're talking to someone in the Philippines and even just in discussions with the distributors and their insights into the local market. They're so diverse in what they need and what their drivers are, what their price sensitivity points are. You know, in Korea, And in China, it's like counterintuitive. If something costs more, then it must be better. Whereas, say, in Indonesia, they want the international brand, but they wanted it, you know, at a a more competitive price point. And then again, it's understanding the market. So whereas in Australia, one of our biggest channels is pharmacy, in Korea, you actually are not permitted to sell anything in pharmacy other than pharmaceutical products. So... When we said to him, why aren't you tapping into the pharmacy segment? He thought we were insane. He was like, you can't sell these products in pharmacy. So we're like, but they're our biggest channel in Australia. It was understanding also the sales pipeline. Um, So it is really different. And I think that you have to trust the distributor that you've taken on board. And it has to be, as I said, that really sounds cliched, but it's really true, that partnership with them and you have to trust that they know what they're doing and that doesn't mean you just blindly take everything they say as gospel we obviously challenge and we have those discussions and we don't always agree but at the end of the day our success is only as you know is driven by their success in those markets so we have to listen and, and take that feedback on board
1: Your podcast host, Katrina McCarter, is about to launch her second book, and you can get it first. Called the mother of all opportunities, this book has been written for board directors, C-suite, senior marketers, and business owners to shine a light on the enormous opportunities for growth which exist in the mum market. Katrina demonstrates why now is the right time to rethink your relationship with the world's most powerful consumer, mums, Fast-track your brand and build a competitive advantage by gaining critical research-based insights into this massive and underserved market. If you live in Australia, you can pre-order your copy from www.marketingtomums.com.au forward slash book. All pre-orders will be personally signed by Katrina and will be gift-wrapped also, making them a perfect gift for your team or business colleague.
2: the U.S. market? Have you had to alter your marketing strategy in terms of what you do in the Australian market in moving into the U.S.?
0: I don't think our marketing strategy has necessarily changed. I think the U.S. is a really hard market, particularly in our space. And I think, I don't just actually think, sorry, in our space, but I think it is a really hard market. And I think that a lot of businesses and a lot of businesses we speak to look to the U.S. as the, like the pinnacle and. It's been a really hard market for us to crack. We still haven't gotten to where we want to be in the US. From a marketing point of view, we very much tackle it very similarly to what we do here. But it's a big market. It's a very competitive market. There are, for us, local home brands in the States that have the same iconic status and the same loyalty that we have here in Australia and have built in Asia. So that's probably the biggest challenge for us is getting that brand trust, brand recognition up cost is also a big thing they're very price driven so that's that's a challenge as well as I said we do sit at that best end of good better best and I think that it's you know you can do that when the market sees the brand at that level but we're trying to tell the market we're at that level but they haven't experienced us before so it's that's the challenge in the US but we certainly are still pursuing the U.S. We used to have a distributor there. Um, We've been doing our own distribution for the last couple of years. I guess for us it's been a fairly passive approach to the U.S. market in the last 18 to 24 months. We're in discussions at the moment with a couple of potential distributors which will hopefully shift that and become uh, a game changer for us over there. But you really, I think, in the U.S., you either need to get on a plane, go there and build your business in the U.S., or you need someone who's based there that can do that for you. I think doing it remotely is really challenging.
2: Mm, I've heard that actually from a number of brands. Um, I, I, I would agree. I'm keen to actually talk to you about resourcing. So if you're growing an international global brand, you're competing in multiple markets, obviously requires a lot of investment. How do you resource your business to support your growth? And are you doing it all from Australia? It sounds like you're working very closely with distributors in a lot of these countries. Could Could you tell us a little bit about that?
0: So look, I think from a market specific perspective, we do work closely with the distributors and really the resourcing is helping them from a marketing perspective. We, as I said, have a global platform of resources and toolkits and, and collateral that they can tap into and then tailor to their local markets. So when you log on to bboxforkids.com and it directs you to Japan, you want the Japanese Bbox site to feel exactly like Our global site does. So we're not 100% there yet, but that's certainly what we're working towards. From a resourcing point of view, we've set up warehouses. We've got a warehouse in the US, we have a warehouse in Europe. So that's really to service the smaller distributors who are not taking stock straight out of China. So that's certainly been a big investment on our part, but obviously it's one that's starting to bear fruit. But that was not a decision we took lightly, and we knew that we had the feedback that we'd had from Europe, even from those smaller distributors or retailers, is they want the goods landed into the EU. They don't want to have to have the headache of importing them. So that, and we had that over a couple of years and and we had that interest in the brand. You know, we set up warehousing in Europe and finding the right location in Europe to do that. So in terms of resources for growth, you certainly need to make sure your infrastructure is right. The global platform, I mean, it's not, it's nothing, you know, rocket science that's using Dropbox as the platform, which for most countries um, other than China is is fine. But as I said, having that, you know, that in itself has taken resourcing. And we have, so we do manage everything from our head office here in Melbourne. And some of the team, particularly the marketing team, a large proportion of their time is on our, I guess, global branding. And then looking at, we treat Australia as kind of like we're the distributor in Australia but we treat it exactly like we would do the support for any other distributor and so that's how we're trying to kind of separate out a little bit of, of our resource focus here to make sure that we're focused on global first local following rather than the other way around which we used to do when we um, which was let's do what we need to do in Australia and then roll it out globally we've, we've gone the other way which is a new strategy
2: when did you make that shift? Because that, that's really interesting to me.
0: We actually made that shift only in probably the last 12 months. I guess the mindset has always been that, but we didn't have the resources to focus and execute that. So last year we brought in a head of marketing and I, I guess, stepped out of the day-to-day on marketing and to more focus on the strategy. And Meg's has really then, bringing her in, has enabled her to focus on obviously building the marketing team, but also to make sure that that strategy, which we've had for the last few years, is actually able to be implemented, which is how do we service and build Bbox as a global brand? And not to say we're a global brand, but actually be a global brand and support our distributors globally. And when you see Bbox anywhere in the world, you know it's Bbox without having to see the logo which I guess is Marketing 101 for most of us. But when you're resource constrained, you kind of just get through each day. And, you, and sometimes when you're in the day-to-day, you don't have that time to step up and out of the day-to-day. And I think that's been a really good opportunity for me as a business owner, but certainly as a marketer, is to be able to have that breathing space to step up and out of the day-to-day to really look holistically at the business. Where do we want to be? What do we want to be telling our customers? So we always knew our B-Box persona. You know the, our our customer persona, but we've actually documented it. So Megan has been amazing at, at kind of getting everything that's out of Monique and my head and our vision and our I guess ethos for the business onto paper, which has been then able to help the team focus on that. And that global brand is not just about how do we market externally, but it's how do we market the brand internally so that everybody within the team is on the same page and in everything that they're doing that brand messaging, values, is communicated.
2: Fantastic. And I had the pleasure of meeting Megan actually earlier this year as well.
0: Yeah, she's been a fantastic addition to, to the B-Box team. Fantastic. So, Danielle, we've
2: got a really large community of brand marketers and business owners who listen to our show. What three tips would you share with them if they're considering expanding into overseas markets to grow their brand?
0: So the first thing I would say is do your research. Um, and understand where your products sit in that market in terms of product placement, retailer placement, what are the local consumer, i.e. your target audience, and and for us it's mums, what do they need, what products are going to resonate well with them. So research is really important and whether that's your own research or finding a distributor that knows their market and understanding how they would approach it, that is really, really important. In terms of expanding, I cannot emphasize enough is protect your brand and that's your intellectual property. And I know that it sounds like kind of really legal and boring, but it is so important, particularly when you're expanding into Asia. And it is an investment, but it's a really smart investment. You hear some horror stories about brands that have been basically held hostage because people have registered their brand name and it's an expensive process to get it back. So. I would definitely say, make sure that you've protected your intellectual property and your brand. And then the third thing I would say is trust your gut. If something feels right, it usually is. And if something feels e, eh, it usually is. So if there's red flags, don't ignore them. And also it's your brand. So you're in control. And one of the best pieces of advice we have ever received, and I live by every single day, is take risks Make sure they're informed risks. Every entrepreneur takes risks, and you will fail one hundred percent. Every entrepreneur and every business makes decisions and and mistakes that you go, oh God, I can't believe I did that. But fail fast and fail forward would be our biggest advice because that's how you grow and that's how you learn. And I think we tell that to our kids all the time. You know, you make mistakes, but you have to learn from them. And I think as business owners and brand managers, that's a really key thing because if you're going to be innovative and you're going to you know, for us, it's not cliche, but redefine the market, you have to take risks. And some of those risks will pay off and some won't, but it's learning from the ones that don't and and also learning from the ones that do. So you can replicate that success, but, you know, take those risks, make sure they're informed and move forward and and learn from those mistakes that you make. Oh, fantastic. They were great tips. Thank you, Danielle.
2: So what's next for Beebox?
0: Well, we have lots and lots of new and exciting products uh, that we're bringing to market, which is really exciting. Our design team, we have an in-house product design team who work really hard to bring ideas to to fruition. So certainly new products, new markets. As I said, we've just recently gone into Vietnam. We're looking at the Philippines, Europe, somewhere that we really want to find some key distribution partners in. So more global expansion for us, but not anywhere and everywhere, it's in those really key markets that we think we're going to get some returns on that investment. And I guess also for us is having the right partnership and the right strategy for the US because I do think the US is important for any international brand, but it's finding the right part of the market that works for the brand and for that local market. you know. And I think that the next big thing for Baybox is a massive party to celebrate 10 years.
2: I bet it is. I bet it is. Danielle, if people wanted to learn more about you or more about Bbox, what's the best way for them to do so?
0: So they can always connect both with Monique and I personally from LinkedIn and we're always happy to share any insights that we can. We work with lots of startup businesses, not just in the, you know, mum or product space, but in on all realms. So we're always happy just to chat and, and give advice. We've certainly had lots of people that have shared their experiences along the way that have helped us. So we um, always try and pay that forward. And I guess as a brand, obviously hop onto the website, which is vboxforkids.com. On socials, we're very, very active on socials, and that's a big part of our marketing strategy going forward. So they can always connect with us through through that medium as well. Fantastic.
2: We will make sure that we have got all of those links in the show notes for our listeners so you can easily get through to those. So for our listeners, I actually want you to start thinking about your brand's future growth. Are there opportunities for your brand in overseas markets? What resources would you need to consider? You know, what's the pre-work, that homework? If you think about Danielle's tips that she's shared, she's shared some really interesting insights for brands looking to grow via overseas markets. And I highly recommend that you get your team to listen to this episode and then get together and discuss it. Danielle, I'd really like to thank you for your generosity and sharing your expertise, your insights and your experience with Bbox. And thank you very much for being part of Marketing to Mums, the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Fantastic.
2: I loved that interview. Danielle was very generous in sharing some pretty strong recommendations for any brand considering exploring overseas markets. For those wanting to learn a little bit more about Bbox for Kids and their expansion into the Indonesian market, I've actually featured them in my new book called the mother of all opportunities now this is available right now for pre-order for our Australian listeners over at www.marketingtomums.com.au forward slash book and it isn't too far away for our international listeners now as always we've got the links to connect with our guest today bbox for kids over on our website in the show notes thank you very much for listening to marketing to mums the podcast
1: You've been listening to Marketing to Mums, the podcast, the show which helps you drive sales and profit in your organization by developing a deeper understanding of the world's most powerful consumer, Mums. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review and tell us what your key takeaway was or who your favorite guest was and why. If you would like to get the show notes from today's episode or any of the links mentioned, all you need to do is head to marketingtomums.com.au forward slash podcast don't forget to sign up to receive an email to let you know when the next episode is released. Thanks for listening.